listening to Chillin' Grace, the lifestyle podcast for women disrupting the norm by chilling in their truth and gracefully inspiring others to do the same. As a certified coach who works with successful women to disrupt the norm by trusting themselves with what they want for their life, it's always been super important for me to showcase women doing just this. We all deserve to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, and to know we aren't alone when what we want for our life may seem too big, too different, or too weird. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get to it. Welcome to episode 12 of Chill and Grace. We are going to get right into today's podcast because today's podcast was so special to me. I know I probably say this every episode, which is true that I am always really excited, but today is really special to me. I got to spend time with my friend Remington and I honestly thought we could have had a conversation that could have lasted six hours into a multi-part series because of how powerful and how insightful and how um, inspiring Remington's story is. So I am going to get right down to it so we can dig in immediately to what she had to share. So I met Remington probably five or six years ago. And at that time, Remington was presenting as a man. Um, at that time, Remington was working out with Katie at the gym. We hung out socially. And I remember the moment that we heard that Remington was going to be transitioning. And it was in an email that Katie got, and it was on National Coming Out Day. And I remember Remington sharing with a small group of people that she was really stepping into who, what her truth was and was going to be transitioning into a woman. And I can't even, at that moment, I remember thinking, I can't even imagine what that is like. Because on the other flip side of that, not only is that just a big transition um, that takes so much, she was also um, a pastor and married and was a chaplain at a hospital in town. And so it was so multi-layered. And I just remember thinking, wow, I hope that I can help support her in whatever way possible. And we've kept in touch and I've you know, seen her both professionally and personally and every interaction, every interaction I've seen is one full of grace and vulnerability and compassion. And from people that may not understand or people that have questions, she's always so open. And I honestly, throughout this podcast, I think you'll find a lot of the times there was a lot of silence from me. I didn't know what to say because I feel like she shared so much great information. I was just like, wow. Okay. Um, Yeah. So it took me, it was so wonderful to listen to again. And I hope that wherever you are, um, you're really inspired by somebody who really honored the truth for herself. And we talk, she talks a lot about how it's not always easy now and it wasn't always easy. And this is stuff that has been coming up for her since she was like eight or nine years old and kind of the journey to get there. And I, like I said, I take such I'm honored every single time somebody wants to share a story with me and you out there listening that requires courage and faith and bravery. And so this was a really special one for me. So I know that you are going to be so inspired by her and what you see is what you get during this episode. So thank you so much for tuning in and I will catch you on the other side. Hi friends. Before we get started, a quick note on today's conversation. While this is an important episode with so many positive messages, there is some adult language and we do touch on several topics that could be triggering for some, including assault and suicide. Please take care of listening. I am so excited to be here with my dear friend, Remington. Welcome to my podcast, Remington. Hi. So you're calling in from Austin, Texas, correct? 
Austin, Texas. I'm very excited. I'm very nervous. This is my first podcast, so I'm I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. You're that's all. That's all you got to be. You got to be here and ready. So we met probably oh probably it's been what five or six years ago, and through that time, I've really witnessed your journey, and I just want to say I have always been in such awe of the way you show up in the world with courage and compassion and grace, both to yourself and others. And I know that's not been easy and you may not always see yourself showing up that way, but I just want to say thank you for that, um, showing up for that way in the world. Oh, well, I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So we'll get into all the fun stuff, but why don't you take a minute and just kind of inter- introduce yourself? Um, okay, so my name is Remington. Um, I'm an ordained Presbyterian uh, minister uh, through the uh, Presbyterian Church USA. Um, I'm a professional healthcare chaplain um, by training, and I work sort of, um, not sort of, I work with the um, the sick and the dying as a home health, uh, sorry, home hospice chaplain, and I also run the bereavement program. Uh, so after someone dies, I support sort of the grieving and the grief process um, for those sort of left behind. Um, and uh, I have a five-year-old son who's about to be six. Um, I am recently engaged, which is like the very best news ever. Um, and I'm super passionate about, um, you know, compassionate, vulnerable living. Mm-hmm. First of all, congratulations on the engagement. I am very excited for you guys fun news in this COVID age. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, when I was kind of thinking through people, I'd love to have my podcast talking about women really disrupting the norm and trusting themselves and moving through the shit. Obviously I thought of you because I don't know that there's anything more life-changing than what you've gone through. <laughs> um, being a trans woman and making this change later in life. I am just so excited for you to be here today. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have much wisdom, but I am here to share all of the waves of what this has been like. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I know we talked about a week ago and we, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need like six hours for this. And nobody has time to listen to anything for six hours. So I thought I'd try and keep us into maybe three areas that I thought really touched on what's important to you, really kind of like crafting an identity that's true to you, you know, honoring your faith and really keeping those relationships through a time of transition and change. Yeah, I think that, that I think that sounds good. I think that would be coherent for the listeners. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, that's the goal, right? Um, so talking to kind of really breaking through the shoulds of your life and maybe even shame when we don't live by what we should do. Talk about maybe, you know, because you grew up in what, Oklahoma, correct? I did, yes. And the very best part of Oklahoma, which is the Oklahoma panhandle. Okay, okay. <laughs> People in Texas have, I'm sure, lots of jokes about the Oklahoma panhandle, right? I, I, I mean, I think Texans in general just have, like, giant egos about Texas. And, you know, <laughs> I'm from Texas County, Oklahoma, um, which was literally, you know, like, you know, right on the other side of the border there. And, I mean, everything in the panhandle is on the other side of the border because um, it's one county wide. Um, okay. But we you know, uh, anyway, Oklahoma panhandle, like representing, um, yeah, represent in the house. So growing up in kind of a small town, Oklahoma, when was the first time you felt like maybe you were a little different than what you were seeing around you? I, I mean, I think it sort of the, the, the differentiating point was, you know, when, you know, when the, the, the children, so the, the, 
female and the male children began to sort of split into, you know, so, you know, sort of right around sort of pre-puberty, puberty. So nine, 10, 11, you start to see sort of more of the girls staying with the girls, more of the boys staying with the boys. And, and that's where sort of things started to feel pretty uncomfortable for me. And part of that was mm-hmm. that the majority of my peer group up to then was, was girls. So I'd be the only sort of, you know, uh, when I think about myself, you know, I was the only look, you know, person that looked like a boy, you know, at the, you know, at the birthday party. Um, or I would get to stay, you know, at the sleepover until midnight, and then I would like walk mm-hmm. home or whatever, and all the girls would stay. And so it, it became a thing where, you know, sort of once, um, you know, that 9, 10, 11, 12 sort of rolled in, that was where sort of like, you know, the girls began to sort of do, you know, you know, pull away from anyone that sort of looked like a boy and the, you know and it, it became a, a mm-hmm. thing where if you wanted to be with the girls you had to date them so I went through you know many years of just dating all my friends <laughs> um you know so I could just stay close to all of them yeah. um yeah I, and it wasn't oh. until so when I was 13 we went up to Massachusetts um and we did uh my whole family went up there and we ran a race the Falmouth Road Race and while we were there we went whale watching um um oh my gosh what is the name of that town um (laughs) there's a whale watching place up there which is a huge queer community and um I remember us walking down the boardwalk and seeing these two women that were towering over everybody Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, they had heels on and they looked gorgeous. And I mean, they could have been drag queens, but like tiny me, just remember looking at them and being like, I don't know what that is, but I love everything about it. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. <laughs> and it was just sort of my first sort of like inkling of like, I don't know what that is, but that is, that is doing something. Um, and sort of, I, that's my sort of first exposure to sort of what, you know, what that, you know, what that might could be but I you know I didn't make sense of it right so you saw like there was an inkling out there that like it probably tugged on your heart but you're like you couldn't probably wrap your mind around it at that age too yeah yeah I mean I would mean yeah I mean I remember my my brother and my brother-in-law making jokes about them you know about them sort of like oh man that was so uncomfortable to see you know whatever and you know making Mm -hmm. comments about appearance Mm -hmm. or whatever and I remember thinking like oh the what I so that's not okay but I like I like that mm. <laughs> you know so it was, was like that the... okay I'm sorry go ahead I, yeah I mean I think it was just sort of like it, it was the first time for my family to sort of be you know for at, to hear that my family was like not okay with these people mm-hmm. um and it was you know that was like the first sort of like you know friction point of being like I want to know more about that um so yeah again at 13 because and not to have this to at that same within that same moment realize there was a lot of shame you were feeling and that it wasn't okay from your family because at 13 like that's all that matters right yeah and I mean so I was raised I mean the part of Oklahoma I'm raised from everyone is Southern Baptist unless proven otherwise and you know what that means is that even the you know the different you know denominations of Christianity or whatever there's still like a very strong sense of sort of sexual, sh- you know, an ethic of sexual shame, you know, of purity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, you know, I really wanted to be a good kid. I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to be a good child. And, you know, this stuff was really confusing to me. I mean, because when it came around, you know, when it comes around puberty, right? So then you're also, you know, getting to explore your body in new and sexual ways. And you're like, I don't know how to make sense of this. Um, And, you know, there's also this sort of like, why, you know, what is happening? You know, why, what is going on with this sort of like this feminine thing that I am like so curious and attached to? Is it, is it just sort of like, oh, this is what boy, boys are, boys are interested in, in like the feminine bodies or whatever, but it, it, it was always something different. Okay. Oh, interesting. And so that was what, nine or 13. And then you went on to um, finish high school, go to college, go to seminary. How did you kind of deal with these feelings like during that time? I, I mean, you know, that's where, so w- during high school, I was sort of like, man, it seems like I may just be like a lifelong cross-dresser. And I would like read stories about these, like, you know, people who are like, yeah, like I'm a cross-dresser and like my wife is totally fine with it. And like I go to conventions on the weekends or whatever. And I was like, I mean, like that sounds like fine. I'm like, I want to, I want to do that. And so, you know, when I, when I got my long-term girlfriend in college, my freshman year, we ended up getting married. I remember sort of at one point sort of like disclosing, I was like, Hey, like, you know, like I'm like pretty interested in like, you know, presenting female from time to time. And that was like, not okay. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. So this is a, I would, I had like made some inroads to like make peace about it and normalize it. But then like, you know, there was such a blowback that I was like, okay, 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 you got to like deal with this. So I ended up going to the school therapist there at Oklahoma State and this like therapist in training like had her like camera in the corner and she's like recording it so she can like be reviewed and like, you know, get her clinicals or whatever. And I'm talking about all these thoughts and feelings. And she's like, look, I got to tell you, it seems like you're a trans woman. And I was like, well, I hear that. So how do I not be that? Oh yeah. <laughs> and and I came, you know, and like I came back to her and I was like, look, I am a hard worker. Tell me what I need mm-hmm. to do to not do this. Like I fine, give me like I'll be a trans woman, great, but like how do I like present male and like, you know, just be able to like not have these inclinations or whatever? And she was like, That's not what we do here. <laughs> and, oh, and and it was and so I just I left and I didn't go back. Um and, you know, it wasn't until like my senior year where I had had, you know, sort of a near suicide attempt after sort of presenting female by myself and then just sort of feeling so disgusted by myself. And so I remember, you know, um, my girlfriend at the time, what well, fiance at the time, like broke off the engagement because she was like, look, if that's what you want, like, I am not interested. <laughs> And, you know, I was just, I felt so, and I was like, well, I don't want to be this. I don't want my family to know about this. Everyone from my hometown will just think I'm like disgusting and like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. So I like shaped my head and I started like working out like aggressively to like deal. And I saw the therapist again and I was like, hey, I need you to help me fix this because like I'm going to seminary, I'm getting married like, I need to, like, man up, and how do I do this? And they're like, well, it looks like you are making a bunch of decisions that are, like, trying to prevent you from being who you are. And, like, we won't help you with that. Oh, 
Oh, wow. So they were not ha- wanting any part of your hard work to not be who you were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, I mean, it's where you got to give it to them like Oklahoma state, like yeah. therapy department, you guys were crushing it. Um, and I just was like, all right, I'm not doing that. But one of the things I did do, and I think this was one of the saving lights for me is I did do some research and I, I saw that there was a Presbyterian pastor who had transitioned while on the job and was able to keep her job. Oh, and, interesting. And so that was like the little light of hope. Cause I was like, I'd gotten this like full fellowship to go to seminary. Everything was paid for. And I, I felt like that was something I should be doing. Um, and so hearing that, like, okay, if later, if I slip up and I transition, then like, well, I mean, it seems like the church like has at least room for one of us. Um, and that, I mean, that like helped sort of like be the sole light that sort of stayed lit through all this. Mm-hmm. Just to see that there was, an, even if it was just one person, that there was somebody that you thought you could be like. Well, I mean, there was that, but that, I also had this this roommate in college and I disclosed to him sort of my, my, my trans feelings. And he was, and he was great. He was like, oh, but cool. He was like, you know, there was someone in my hometown that like transitioned. She was a mechanic and like, um, you know, she like, you know, the big, you know, she had like a big coming out party and like my family went and she was awesome. And we like talked for a long time about it. And um, he was like, look, you know, um, you know, if you transition, like, you know, I totally fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, thank you. And it was like, but it was like the sweetest thing. Um, cause it was the first time I had disclosed to anybody in real life outside mm-hmm. of my, my partner who, who reacted with just sort of like a gentle, loving curiosity. I mean, it was, it, I mean, it was just mm-hmm. a stand. I mean, I can't express how much it meant to have someone react with gentle, loving curiosity. Mm-hmm. Especially, and you were what, 19 at the time, 20, 18 to 20? Yeah. So I got married at 21. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was, you know, so college was hard hard um because it was just sort of like I you know I think part of it was I watched my body sort of get more and more built in a very masculine way um Mm -hmm. and you know I went from like you know almost 6'3 and 165 to um you know nearly 200 by the time I graduated um and that's I mean that's a lot of mass to pack on and so you Mm -hmm. know I went from sort of a very sort of you know, what I felt was sort of a more, you know, traditionally feminine body um, that was, you know, I had very little body hair um, to something that looked, you know, just like a dude. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So it was hard. Oh yeah. So you're getting married and you're thinking, Hey, I can just like cross dress on the weekends or maybe if I did transition eventually, but right now I just want to have this life and I want to be a pastor and I I'm not willing to make this change. Is that accurate? Yeah. It, it, that... it just didn't seem like it seemed too scary. And like, so mm-hmm. like as a freshman, I was like, you know, I could totally do this, but um, you know, I made a dis. you know, after I worked with that therapist, I made that decision like halfway through that, like, you know what? I love this, this person. They love me. I want to be with them. And like this part of myself is not okay. So let's, yeah let's do the hard work and fix that other piece so we can like live happily ever Mm -hmm. after. Yeah. You could. And like you said, I think we talked about this, like you are the hard worker. You're smart. You're like, I can outwork this. I can outsmart this. I can outpastor this. (laughs) 
I can outdo this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so so after I had that falling out when we were engaged, like to like get back on track, like I shaved my head and like I like, you know, did a bunch of sort of outward signs of like I got this under control. I mean, I was I mean, I was working mm-hmm. out for hours every day to like you know, I mean, my roommates tell this story of like looking out the back door at midnight and I'm in the backyard with a pickaxe <laughs> and I'm just going to town on this like stump that's out there. And the deal was like, I just didn't feel like if I went, if I went into my bedroom, I couldn't deal with the thoughts. And it was like, my body was, too, I had already run, you know, many, many miles and I couldn't, my body couldn't run anymore. And I was like, well, I still got energy. So I was like, out just like pounding this, like, you know, it's like stump with a pickaxe. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's so sad when I look back, but I was trying so hard. Yeah. Do you think knowing, do you think that helped you to find the, I don't know, did that help when you finally like, this is what I'm going to do to know that you did try? Do you think that helped in some way or do you think it was just more harmful? I mean, what was helpful to me in terms of, um, you know, so there's this, there's this therapy exercise that, that folks can do. I think this is from Kristen Neff. She, she writes this, um, she does self-compassion. She's a professor at the University of Texas. Um, mm. So she has this exercise that she encourages folks to do where you set up three chairs and in one of the chairs, so you, you take turns sitting in all three of the chairs and one is sort of your like critical self. And, you know, one is the criticized and then one is the facilitator. I think that's how it works. And so mm-hmm. when I sat in the, you know, critical self place, you know, I told myself, God, you were so close to transitioning so many times. What is wrong with you? Why couldn't you do it? And then mm-hmm. I would sit in the chair of sort of the criticized and I'd be like, look, but I was doing the best I could. I got as close as I could and I did as much as I could at that time. And it was really helpful for me to reflect and be like, you know what? I did see a therapist. I did self-disclose to a close friend. I made, you know, I, yes, I wish I would have made different choices, but, you know, I, I really empathize with that, you know, with myself in the past because she, she was doing the best that she could with what she understood mm-hmm. the world to be. Um, right. And, you know, and, you know, I, 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 I tend to like not look, I mean, I have moments where I look back with sort of regret or sort of like, God, how could you not have seen that? How could you have done that to yourself? But, you know, in a, in a, in a, a much sort of more loving way, it's sort of like, well, that's who you were and you were making the best decisions you could with the information you had. And yeah, you could have done better, but I love you and I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Cause it's, we, you know, like the mistakes are always hindsight, right? Like you do the best you can with what you've got. And then you look back, you're like, I should have done that different, but that's not the circumstances you were in yeah. at that time. Oh, for sure. For what sure. You were equipped to deal with. Yeah. So you got married at 21, you had your son and then what was kind of, the um what was the point for you where you're like you know what I can't live as a man anymore I need to embrace my true self yeah well I mean I think you know I had what I'd kept trying to do over the years was like okay if I'm going to present as a man I'm going to present I'm going to like you know polish off the edge of masculinity and be sort of uh you know the sort of fanciest shiniest version of masculinity that I can imagine um and you know after I I began presenting as female I had some of my patients who knew me before and they were like oh you know this really isn't that surprising we just thought you were like super gay (laughs) (laughs) 
like, oh, okay. And they were like, we know you talked about your wife and stuff, but we were like, yeah, we're not sure about any of that. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if I was like succeeding. But I mean, one of the things for me is that when I did my, so to become a healthcare chaplain's chaplain, you do this residency where you spend 20 hours a week with patients and you spend about 20 hours a week essentially in this like small group pressure cooker where you have a supervisor and a bunch of other chaplain residents in a room and you guys are talking about each other. In other words, like, hey, did you know that like when you said this, like it came across that way and like I'm reading you, you know, um, this way. And it was incredibly painful and incredibly helpful. Like it's crazy intense. Mm. Um, And what I learned through that was that I could let down a huge piece of my facade. In other words, I didn't, I didn't have to come in, you know, as this sort of like cocky young, I, you know, I'm here to Mm. save everything. I could come in and be like, I'm a curious, loving soul, and I'm just happy to be here. And, and that ability to sort of just to see how much power and healing coming and presenting as just beautifully vulnerable was with people was a huge eye opener for me. You know, and so what I began to do is just work. And I mean, my preaching was about vulnerability. My teaching was about vulnerability. My personal work with, with my therapist was about vulnerability. And so when I had my son, I remember like looking down at him and like holding him. We would take these super long walks because he would only sleep when he was being held. And I would take these giant long walks with him and I would sort of talk to him. And I'd be like, hey, you know, I really want you to be able to be you in whatever that means. And I don't, I want you just to be you and no one else. And then I like, you know, I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, what example am I setting for him? I'm, I, mm-hmm. and, and it, everything began to break. Um, part of it was having a newborn is crazy hard and I was exhausted. And so I didn't have the mental energy to like do the hard work of like keeping myself together. And Mm -hmm. I started to get sort of more and more unstable and, you know, started to sort of explore trans stuff again in earnest and, you know, sort of with my son and sort of this fear that if I didn't transition, I would kill myself. You know, I pushed forward um, with this sort of like, I want to know what it would look like to live in that world. Mm -hmm. Before you had your son, did you think that that would maybe um, kind of sway you the other way? I, I mean, not sway you the other way. I'm sorry, that may not be yeah, right. Yeah. But did you think that would be like, okay, now we have a family. Now I'm like, I need to be bought into this and present as a. Mother. I mean, I don't know. About, I mean, there may have been some subconscious thing. It's like, hey, we've we've got a mortgage and we've got debt and mm-hmm. we've got jobs and we've got a marriage and we've got a. We're kid. living the American dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was where like I. I mean, it really did feel, I mean, part of it was like when I, when I was a kid, right. So we, you know, go back to like nine years old and I like looked for, and this is the idea of sort of what does representation in the world really mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, what did I see? I saw, what did dads do? Dads got jobs and houses and dogs, you know, and like, that's what a successful family looked like. And I just sort of was like, okay, you know, I've always wanted kids. I always wanted a family. I want to be a parent so bad. And I, I cared so deeply for my wife at the time. And I just, 
she desperately wanted a child and I wanted to be able to sort of support and celebrate that. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know if there was much thought about the trans stuff. I think I, I we talked about it before we, uh, um, before Westbrook was conceived. And again, I sort of was like, look, I think, I, I think this, I, I got this thing and we tried to talk about it and, I just couldn't do a good enough job to like hold my feet firmly in that conversation. And so, mm. you know, we talked a little bit about a divorce again and then I came back and I was like, no, that's not me. Like I'm here. I made a commitment. I am here for us a hundred percent. And like, I am a worker and I'm a trier and let's do it. Um, and so, I mean, I feel, you know, yeah, I, I feel so many complicated feelings from all that, but I love my son dearly and I'm so glad he's here. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you are such a great role model for him and what a, to be able to look in his eyes now and know that what you're speaking to him, you're also living has to mean a lot to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also, you know, cause I, I met you through Katie. She always worked out at the gym together, but then we also worked for the same company at like a healthcare or hospital group in Austin. And so talk a little bit about what that was like to work, you know, not only co- you know, come out with your wife and your family, but also not only in a workplace, but a pretty conservative workplace and as a religious figure. (laughs) What was that? I think my coming out at the hospital was bananas because I mean, one of the things that was happening to me, so I, I was a healthcare chaplain. I ran a program at a small hospital. We had around 350 employees, but we were part of a larger hospital chain that had thousands of employees, you know, six large, you know, six other hospitals, many of them very large. And so, you know, not only was I like known at the hospital that I worked at, but I was known at the other hospitals because I would give these invocations or like, you know, these starting little speeches at these big corporate events. And, you know, when I thought about transitioning, I was like, oh my God, am I going to lose my job? I mean, that was the, you know, the first thing my, you know, after my mom sort of got over some of the shock, she was like, are you going to lose your job? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the first thing I did, you know, so I ended up talking with that friend from high school who was so loving and supportive. And he said, Remington, if you're going to come out, the first thing you got to do is you got to get your team. You got to get your support network. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where I start, you know, first I did one-on-one disclosures, you know, with some of the people at the, the gym some of my close pastor friends, some of my close nursing friends, and just sort of, you know, got, you know, a bunch of these, a bunch of reps of like, oh, I'm telling somebody and they are not treating me like I'm a monster. They're not like telling Mm. me I am a terrible spouse and that like, how dare I do this to my wife and son? Instead, they say, hey, we love you. What do you need? We're here for you. Or, oh my gosh, this is going to be so awesome. You know, I mean, it was just, it was wild to just be met with sort of enthusiasm and love and care. And like, people seem to feel really good about me, like disclosing to them. It was just like, it was like having all these like special like moments. I mean, I just like, couldn't have had a better time. I mean, it was like scary to do. And so, you know, I started telling sort of like, I would like send messages to maybe four or five people at once. And so eventually I had told you know, a certain number of people in every department of the hospital, because as a chaplain, I went everywhere. 
And eventually I got to the point where I was feeling comfortable enough. And so I like, I like presented female at pride and like one of my pastor friends came out and like walked with me and we walked with this like church group. And I just, it felt amazing to like walk the parade and like, you know, and just, I mean, it was life changing. But at the parade, one of the, one of the directors of my hospital saw me and I was like, oh no, I haven't told HR. I haven't told my boss. And like, Mm. so then I like talked to her and she like promised not to tell anyone until like, you know, and she was very supportive and um, yeah. So it, it was just like, it was scary. I mean, I think the hardest place was there hadn't been someone to explicitly transition, you know, with through HR and all that. And so one of the things I really did not appreciate was like sitting with HR and having to talk about like, Hey, look, I'm going to go on hormones. And so that means like, Mm. you know, there's going to be some changes and this is what this is going to look like as I transition at work and like having to do the education to them about like my body was, did not feel good. Um, it just felt very invasive and like, Oh my gosh, I had so many conversations with HR, um, and like with the like um, public relations department on like how we were going to do this. And it just was like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, you know, I put my, I put, you know, I did it. But what was amazing to me is that my boss never batted an eye. He was there. I mean, that entire executive team, they were like, we are here. And they were behind me a hundred percent. And so you know, when I came out, a bunch of the people at work who didn't have to wear scrubs wore dresses with me that day um, as like a sign of like solidarity. And it was like having a cheerleading squad at every single corner of the hospital. I mean, I would just turn the corner and be a bunch of other like healthcare professionals. Oh my God, it's so good to see you. And they would tell me what was looking good. And they would like give me tips and, and, you know, hugs and love. And I mean, it was like that the whole time I was there. Um, They were just phenomenal I mean I could not imagine I mean I was terrible like let me pause for a sec but I mean I could have never imagined how loved I would I felt when I transitioned there I mean they just were phenomenal and the patients I thought I mean we get patients from like rural conservative Texas and I thought they were it was going to be trouble and it wasn't even patients I'd known before like I said, you know, that, that one family, they were just sort of like, oh, we just thought you were like super gay, but this makes more sense. Um, cool. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> when, what do you, do you think that's the way, like, why do you think that is? Is that the way you approach them? Is that the way you kind of told your story? What do you think is you made your experience unique like that? I, I mean, I think part of it was, I mean, I tried to just be very loving and vulnerable. I mean, I think when we meet one another Mm -hmm. in a very loving and vulnerable place, right. And this isn't, this isn't about sort of like, you're right. So I didn't go to everybody and like cry on their shoulder. Right. But I went to them and self-disclosed in very purposeful ways, you know, and I, and I also told them, Mm -hmm. what did I, I, I in the self-disclosure, I told them exactly what I needed from them. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we sort of ask people, you know, we tell people a, a big, deep secret or a big, deep hurt, 
people get confused and they don't know how to respond. And so it makes them feel this, you know, mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And so they, you know, what, what do we do? And so it can be really helpful to say, you know, so I would say like, hey, you know, I think it looks like I'm going to be transitioning. Um, this is something I've thought about for a while. Um, right now, I just wanted you to know. Um, and in the future, I may need some more love or support. But right now, I just I want you to know that this is something that may be happening. And and so then they could respond with just a very simple, hey, thank you so much for telling me. I'm like, hey, I'm here in your corner, you know. Mm, right. So yeah. I, I wasn't asking a lot, just sort of like saying, hey, can I tell you something really important to me? And I just want you to hear it. Um, and I think the other piece was, and this is something I learned during my residency. So I had, you know, I worked on a trauma floor. I worked in an ED. I worked in a, you know, um, an intensive care for babies and all over the place. But the place that I learned this the best was on a cancer floor. And what I realized there from the nurses and the other care people that work there, that what was needed was a lightness. Yes, it was crazy serious Mm -hmm. there, right? We're dealing with super shitty diseases um, and really hard stuff. But no one needed me to go in a room with a long face and be mopey. They needed me to, you know... They needed me to come in a room with this lightful playfulness and be able to sit with them so we could really look at the hard stuff and do so in a way that was like, not just sort of like terrible. (laughs) Um, And so part of it was when I began, what got me through all that was to look at it with a lot of lightness. So sort of like, isn't this the oddest thing ever? (laughs) You know? Mm-hmm. and not take it too seriously and be like well okay today we're going to tell 10 more people this is strange <laughs> you know yeah. and then you know tell people and you know and just sort of like you know poking at it and, and the other piece that I think really worked for me was this idea of like you know jumping into the the deep end of the pool and like okay we're doing it mm-hmm. right because like with my transition I like I ended up you know, um, not stopping hormone therapy because it wasn't a, a, a good fit for me at the beginning of my transition. So I transitioned without hormones and I was like, is my hair going to be long enough? And like, you know what? And I was just like, look, I, I do not want to wait any longer. I am doing this in August. This is the week we're doing it. And I'm just, I'll be here, you know, I'm coming to work, you know, in my normal suit on Thursday and on Friday, I'll be here in a dress. And like, this is what's happening. <laughs> and like, oh. and just you know, and just doing it, Um, you know, and then a week later, I had breast augmentation surgery. And it was like, I mean, it just was like, look, I've made this decision. There's no going back. We're running, you know, like, I am sprinting at this because like, it is scary. And like, you just got to jump in. It's like you're getting chased. Like you just gotta go. You can't look. You just gotta run through it and just do all the things. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there, there was certainly a lot of like, you know, slow discernment and build up but once I sort of made it I was just like like you know like once I started having that once enough people knew you know at the hospital they were like so I mean when is this happening I mean like we all you know we all know (laughs) so you know when are we doing it um so 
you know, it was, it was great. People were, I just, I look really fun. I mean, it was terrifying. I had to have my, my, um, I had a, a girlfriend, um, who's now my fiance and she had to like put my mascara on the morning that I came out at work because like I was shaking so much. I couldn't like, I couldn't hold my hand still. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you remember this, but we, um, all the hospitals in Austin got together, what, like quarterly, and we'd have this big leadership meeting, and they'd always have a chaplain come up, and you came not that long after you had kind of come out, and you led the invocation, and I was at a table with all of my teammates, and you know, all, and we were all like, damn, she looks good, (laughs) just like, kind of like, you know, being girls, talking about other girls, but like, I remember being like, I can't imagine what courage that took for you to just kind of show up in front of a thousand people I think it was it was terrifying it was terrifying I think I got like I'm the deal is like you know my big you know sort of like find your courage is like go big or go home so like I bought like a special dress and I wore six inch heels and I just like you know shown it like go out hot and let's just see how it goes and like I mean I was just shaking like a leaf but it I mean it it was so meaningful to have to, I never, I thought they would tell me I couldn't ever do that again. Um, and mm-hmm. for the CEO of the, of the division to just, you know, you know, for everyone to be like, I mean, yeah, like, why wouldn't we do it again? Um, you know, like right. this, you're come on up, you know? And it just like, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was, I just like, I look back at that so fondly, but it was so scary. Oh, I'm sure. How did you maintain that courage? Like if, like, that's like, how do you, how did you wake up that morning and do it? Like, what is it? Like, how do you do that? I mean, I I think it's, I think big things like that, it's all about like a short sprint and then a lot of rest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. knowing that after I do that, I am done. Like I got, like, I mean, I don't like everything else. I am just toast right I you know and part of it was sort of like Mm -hmm. the week you know it's the week leading it's I mean my therapist calls it you know doing these like body scans and it's like checking in with yourself and being like oh my gosh I am crazy stressed about this so okay so what am I going to do to care for myself this week so the week leading up to that right I had my chaplain Mm -hmm. team do more of my visits for me because I was most of my like mental energy was going toward preparing for that event um, you know, what am I going to say? And like, like, oh my God, what happens if I like fall walking up, <laughs> you know, like, um, right. and, you know, and then that morning I had my, you know, my, my girlfriend like there to like psych me up there at home. And I asked her like a million times, mm-hmm. do I look good? Do I look okay? Is this, does this look fine? Does it, you know, is it everything fine? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I, I would also say, I cannot say this enough times, but telling your support team what you need is huge. Mm -hmm. So I had people texting me that morning, you are going to crush it. You've got this. We believe in you, you know, and I had, you know, I'd ask people to check in on me and give me words of encouragement. And it, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, imagine if you like post on social media and you literally said, look, I'm posting a picture of myself in this bikini that I may wear this summer. Your job is to now tell me that it looks good. 
Right. 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 <laughs> just just tell us exactly what you need us to do. Right. I don't care how filtered or photoshopped the picture is. If you want us to tell you that, you know, we love how you look, we will do that. Right. Just, you know, I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think we underestimate how loving our 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 friends are. And like you said, I love that. So kind of advice would be one, like, take like one step at a time, but in a quick way, you know, tell one person, tell another people to get that support and then let people know what you need. Cause I think like you said, when you hear something or you, you want to let me know what you need. And then we never do, you know, like you say that to somebody and you have to take the power and be like, this is what I need from you to support me through this. I don't think we do that enough, especially for a big, I mean, it's like, I mean, what's the deal right so best case worst case most probable case right so you tell somebody what you need what's the worst case they're going to say no right that's not terrible right but yeah. we make up in our mind that it's going to be right. oh my god i'm going to ask my i'm going to tell my friend what i need and she's going to like you know burn me at the stake or what you know i mean it's like that's not what happens right most probable cases you'll send a text message asking for something and they won't answer <laughs> yeah. right well, and it just goes back to the vulnerability piece that you've discovered, it sounds like, in all of this and the power of being yeah, vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, just sort of being vulnerable and that, like, checking in. And I think it's hard to check in with ourselves and be like, what what do I really need? And then to trust that, I mean, to trust that that's what, you, I mean, I felt like I built such a distorted sense of self that I find it still quite challenging to trust what I think I need, (laughs) you know, Mm. um, because it's like, well, you know, just because I can suffer, does it mean that I should? Um, You know, the answer is, is no. Um, If I can care for myself, I should, right? That's how it should be. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's not a selfish act. It's, it, you know, our kids love us and want us to care for ourselves. Our loved ones love us and want us to care for ourselves. And, you know, sometimes that means that we're not going to be able to do things for them or be there in different ways because we, we have to look, we, we got to do what we got to do to take care of ourselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So as a chaplain, as a pastor, how has your faith changed through all of this? I mean, that's the church uh, uh, there was a um you know i ended up you know disclosing my um sort of trans stuff to a couple friends from seminary who were pastors and they were very open and supportive and loving and one of them invited me to his to the church that he worked at here in austin and they were the church that i marched with on pride they were the place where they were the second place that i presented female at Um, And so it was just really special Mm -hmm. to go into a congregation and sit in the pews and just feel so normal. Um, And to do the things, I mean, my mother was the organist, my dad ran the sound system. I mean, I was raised like, you know, literally in the church all the time and like to hear the music and like, you know, that, that rhythm of what a church service feels like you know, and be able to, to be able to go and, and present female in that space was such a healing process for me, because what it did is it, it sort of stripped whatever inklings of shame I had left, because it was sort of like, well, 
you are seen and loved, right? People just, you know, gave me hugs mm-hmm. and embraced me. And it was just sort of like, it made the spiritual and the squishiness of all of, you know, you know, religiosity stuff sort of concrete in all of those hugs and that sort of, you know, space that they were holding for me. I mean, it was just incredibly meaningful. And so, you know, I began Mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, do some of the, you know, read some of the queer theologians and the, the feminist theologians and the womanist theologians and sort of, you know, understanding this sort of all of these other facets of the divine, which, you know, when you come at it from, you know, a masculine perspective, you miss. And, you know, there's some sense that that's sort of a sense of idolatry of not sort of seeing the complete spectrum of the divinity. Um, and mm. one of the things that really moved me and continues to be the sort of, like I would say, sort of the new grounding stone of my faith is this idea that by taking care of ourselves and living into who we understand ourselves to be, you know, that's one of the most faithful and divine things we can do. And that's not self-serving. It's not self-worship. It is this idea that when we love ourselves and live into who we are, it is infinitely generative in that, right, it is this sort of you know, we, you know, that like, you know, um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? That mm-hmm. is what that looks like lived out is how do you shine that light? You only shine that light by actually uncovering it and, you know, and being open and vulnerable with the world and like showing them who you really are. Um, and God, that is, I mean, it is such a, such a generative healing force for us to do that um, and such a gift mm. to those around us. Oh, that like hurt, that like hurts my heart in a good way. And is that like, you know, just because we're really stepping into who we were created to be, so that's just taking my non-theological training. That's the belief is that you're just really showing up. Yeah. One thing I think in some circles, there's this theological perspective that we're sort of born sinful we're born broken and we have to sort of claw our way back and we have to like put ourselves in a certain amount of order or we're going to spin off into this chaotic sinfulness. And I don't really know how to make sense of that. Um, But that perspective was incredibly harmful to myself through all these years. It did not bear the fruit that I was promised you know, if I put, if I put up this wall and I put up that wall and I walk this straight path, right? It didn't bear fruit. It bore a suicide attempt. It bore incredible anguish and loneliness. I mean, that is not the fruits of the spirit that I was told about in Sunday school. What has Mm -hmm. bore fruits is for me to show up and be vulnerable and be close in all that I am, right? Whether that's I'm, you know, I'm showing up on a dress on Friday and I still have a five o'clock shadow and like, I'm walking like a baby deer in my heels, but like, I am here. And right. I did better bedside care after I transitioned than I did before, because I was so much closer to those that I cared for, um, because they could sense that I was so much, Mm. you know, I mean, it, it was, um, yeah, it was just, um, there was a tangible difference 
in how patients responded to me afterwards than they did before. Oh, so you think they even, they didn't know what it was, but there was just something that they weren't as drawn to as they were. So before there was always a, there was always a, a facade that had to be worked through. So they were always Mm -hmm. sort of seeing me as, you know, who are you? Where are you? know, there was always this sort of like navigation of like searching for me in the room and trying to figure out who I was. Um, And after I transitioned, there was never sort of like, who is this person? It was just sort of like, people were so much more comfortable telling me, you know, what they thought their sins were. I mean, I was never asking what their sins were, but there was so much more, you know, I could get to self-disclose, get folks to self-disclose before I transitioned. But afterwards, it was just like the gates poured open. You know, folks would just share anything and everything that they, you know, wouldn't share. You know, they'd be like, now look, I don't tell my pastor this, but like, you know, or like, you know, I really feel ish. And it was just, mm-hmm. it, it it was so generative. I mean, it was just, I, I mean, I had, I remember one gentleman that I worked with and he had become suicidal um, because his health issues were incredibly difficult, causing unbelievable amounts of pain, of physical pain, not a lot, not, you know, the same thing for the existential pain. And we were talking and I, you know, he had known me before the transition and we were talking and I was like, look, you know, I, can we talk about this? You know, and I, I shared with him, you know, some little snippets of my pain and shame. And we were able to connect in a way that we couldn't have done so before, because before I would have always had to hold up and a little bit of a facade. And so this way I could just say very openly, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, these are things that I felt. These are darknesses that I've been with. And, you know, we were, we were able to work together and get him to a place where he was no longer suicidal. Um, You know, there was a other team that worked Mm -hmm. with him, but, you know, when he died, you know, a year later, I was there, I was holding him in my arms um, because of how close we got to be because of all this. I mean, I held him in one arm and I held his wife in the other as he took his last breaths. And it was just, I mean, I don't know if that would have happened before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, just the freedom that you showing up as your truest self with no facade, no bow tied up the freedom that that gives other people to do the same and thing. What have you, um, you know, you kind of talked about how you are a better bedside chaplain now as you were before this, what else has changed? I mean, has there ever been anything in your life that is not exponentially better after really trusting this decision? I mean, that transition is crazy hard. It is so hard. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I just, uh, I mean, you know, so I recently began, became suicidal again. Um, and that sucks. I think some of that is related to some, you know, I've been um, um, trying to take some more steps in my transition and there are finance considerations that are making it hard and there are insurance problems and there's self-doubt. And I mean, it's just, I mean, a transition is hard. It is so hard. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, those things are hard. I mean, um, you know, my wife mm-hmm. at the time of the transition, she divorced me and I don't get to see my child very often. And that's super hard. Um, 
I mean, I, I still get scared to leave the house from time to time, or, you know, I see, you know, I, I show up and visit strangers and, you know, I, I still get that feeling of like, am I going to walk in? And they're going to be like, Ooh, no, not you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) it is challenging. Um, I, I, I have a very hard, I mean, I still have a challenging time, you know, wanting to trust myself in all this, you know, it's like, you know, (laughs) um, do you have like mechanisms in place when you do start to second guess or feel this fear? Like, how do you kind of come back to the center of this is who I am? Yeah. I mean, I think a really good thing. I mean, having a good therapist is huge and I have a great therapist. Um, I have a phenomenal fiance. Um, and I do a lot of self-talk. I mean, I'll do it in my head, but when I really need it, I'll do it out loud. You know, okay, Remington, you've got this. You are beautiful. You are loved. You know, you're going to get out there and you're going to make a difference. You know, and it, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, just like say the things. Um <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is such a wild, I mean, I'm so lucky and blessed in so many parts of my transition, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the body that I have and I still don't get along all the time and, you know, mm-hmm. I am still working to try to do the things that I feel like I need to do. Um, and those things are giant and scary and, <laughs> I mean, many, I like, sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to, this transition is so hard. I don't want to do it anymore. And it's like, well, I mean, it's like, I could, I don't have to do anything else, but it's, you know. Right. Oh my gosh. So this, it's even just this roller coaster. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and some of it of is emotion. just sort of comical, right? So, you know, my hair has been growing for four years now and you know, I always wanted to be able to have just like awesome bombshell hair. And so I was like, the other day, I was like, oh, I'm going to learn how to do my own blowouts. And I get my round brush and I start and I'm watching my YouTube tutorial and I roll the round brush up and it won't come out. (laughs) And, you know, I get my fiance and she tries to help and she can't get it out and she's got to go to work. And I have to like call in and be like, I can't be there because I have a brush stuck in my head. And I had to wait until <laughs> the the salon opened and got their first spot that morning. I had to like drive there with a brush in my, you know, and have them detangle me for an hour. Um, you know, and sort of like, I mean, this is kind of funny, <sighs> right? I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I would probably 100% do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, it's just sort of like, this is so silly. Um, and yeah. just got to sort of like chuckle. Um, I mean, other things that I'll do is I still find that like jumping into the deep end is incredibly empowering to me. So, um, last mm-hmm. May I, um, was physically assaulted. Um, I was at this like uh, music festival burning man type thing. And I was trying to like get someone to a medical, a total stranger to a medical vent. They were showing, they were starting to be violent both sexually violent I mean just like showing huge signs of aggression and I'm a trained de-escalator and so I end up having to put hands on this guy and 
we ended up tussling and I ended up getting, you know, there was, I ended up getting disrobed in a bottom, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of inappropriate touching and like, it did not feel good. And I felt so shaken and so small afterwards, you know, and I just felt so guilty for like, well, why did I, why was I wearing that? And it was sort of like, it was just all of these, like, I just, it, it, I felt so dirty. Um, and I, so um, two weeks late oh no sorry a month later I got word that there was like this like um there was like a a swimsuit competition at this bar and I was like I'm doing it and I went and like I wore like this like rocking bikini and like I came home with like a a a bikini trophy (laughs) and like I like strutted my stuff and like danced a bit in front of like a like I went by myself knew no one but like it was something I was like, you know what? This is my body, and this is gonna make me feel good, and I'm gonna go do it. Um, and so I did it, and like I have the trophy, and I am so proud. <laughs> you know, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> so do you find that like every once in a while you just have to have these like big moments of bravery just to remind yourself like this is who I am, and I can do this, and I am fearless. Yeah, I mean, I find like, it, it's find just that? sort of like, look, I'm going to affirm myself. I'm, I've got to do something that makes myself feel good. Um, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like just last week, I was like, you know what? You know what? I, I need to like, I've been really enjoying like, I got this like giant long board that I built that it's like a skateboard, but it's like four foot long. And I've been like, I built it and I'm so proud of it. And I like love writing it. And I was like, oh, you know what I want? It's sunny outside there's still the pandemic and the quarantine, but like, I want to feel good and I want to be seen. And so I like, I put my bikini on and I like skateboarded around town for two and a half hours. And that like, I mean, it felt so good. I mean, yeah, there were times where I'd be like, this is so stupid. People are like embarrassed of me and like, no one wants to see this. And then I was like, you know what? I feel good and I feel sexy. And this is like meaningful to me and I'm going to do it. Oh, so it's almost like you've got to pair these big moments of bravery and confidence building and what feels good. And also these, you know, kind of dipping your toes in as well. Like you said, when you're telling people or when you're having these conversations, like it's kind of a mix. Well, I mean, I think it's listening to what, what you need. I mean, you know, there are times where I have like inched along. I mean, yeah. look, I, I stopped hormone therapy. I only started hormone therapy again eight months ago. So I stopped for three years. <laughs> Because I was like, I can't, I can't do that. It is too hard. It is too scary. I can't do it. (laughs) You know? So, I mean, it's got to be the thing that works for you. I mean, I did breast augmentation, you know, a week after starting Mm -hmm. at work because like I needed to jump in the deep end and do something to be like, this is what I'm doing. And this is important to me, but like, that's a big deal. But like hormone therapy, like I I can't, it's too much. Can't do that one. So, I mean, it's, (laughs) I mean, we don't have to be <laughs> right. beautifully congruent with all of our decisions. Um, mm-hmm. We can just, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think it is sometimes, as my fiance will say, some of this feels a bit maddening, um, <laughs> but a bit maddening. A bit what? What'd you say? You know, because it's like, <laughs> I just want to know where you're at. And so I think that's where sort of sometimes it can be very helpful to tell like like with my fiance i'll be like look this is where i'm at 
I both want to ride around town in my bikini and I also want to hide under the bed. Those are the two feelings I'm having, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're, they're both, both acceptable. perfectly acceptable. Um, you know, and so, and so my therapist mm-hmm. and I will talk and we'll be like, so the question is like, if you stayed in bed today, would that really be the best thing for you? And it might be. And so, I mean, there's been days where I've called in sick because I can't leave the house. Um, and that's okay. Um, yeah. Right. One, like you said, too, you can have a, you know, before that big vacation you did, but you also rested before and after. So you just have to trust, trust what you need for, to keep you. Oh yeah. Sane. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, yeah. I like attention. If, and so, I mean, it was, it was something I, I wanted to do because it was, it, 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 and, and it was, it was like, look, once I do this, then like everybody in the division has seen me, I've done the thing. And like, we can be, you know, we can go forward. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not having to sit and wonder, yeah. so-and-so know, have I told, so, you know, sit there and. So I want to be cognizant of your time. What, um, you know, you talked a lot about, you know, finding a support system and approaching these big changes with lightness. If you, if somebody is listening to this podcast and maybe, you know, it's not a transition, but maybe it's coming out or maybe it's a leaving a relationship or just a big change that there's a lot of feelings. What other advice would you give I mean, for somebody? I think, so um, a group of palliative care physicians developed this, I mean, I think it's something we all know, right? Best case, worst case, most probable case. And so here's what I find. Mo- I, I used to, I used to, I do this with patients all the time and their loved ones because, so the tool was originally designed to help surgeons communicate to their patients the various levels of risk for the intervention. So you're going to have open heart surgery. Let me tell you what the very possible best case could be, the very worst possible case, but let me tell you what most likely will happen. So what can be helpful is that human beings, we are, we are story-based creatures. We love narrative. That's how we learn. That's how we understand by sharing stories. So what can be really helpful is for us to take time and tell ourselves the story. If I make this big decision, what is the mm-hmm. best case that I think might happen? Right. And this isn't like magical best case. Right. This is like based on what I know about the world. This is likely the best case. And tell that story with as many details as possible to really make yourself sort of like, what would that imagine? You know, what does that look like? Then tell yourself Mm -hmm. the worst case. And then look at those two and say, okay, looking at best and worst, what is really most probable? And then tell that story. And And so what's helpful to do is, one, it's helpful to do for yourself. It is also equally helpful to have your your friends and your loved ones do it with you. So be like, hey, I want to make this big decision. What do you think the best case, worst case, and most probable case is? Because what you'll get to see is, as different people tell the story, they will rate the risks and benefits differently. Um, So you'll get to see sort of like, oh, someone who's not me sees the sees the ri- the the, mm-hmm. the chance of that one risk or that one big thing being actually quite small um or you know someone you know you might have a friend who's scared of everything and they'll tell you you know their best case is like well, i mean the best case is like i guess you don't die <laughs> you know 
right? But even he, just <laughs> right, right. other people's perspectives on your on your potential story, I think really helps give us sort of, a, you know, a firmer f- grounding to take steps. Mm-hmm. Kind of equal equalizes it a little because in your head it's yeah. all terrible. Well, I mean, it it keeps us from doing a thing it. where like there is no like our best case is actually pretty terrible <laughs> and, you know, and actually, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so you know, when you really look at it, I mean, the most probable case a lot of times is not awful. It may not be great, but it's likely going to be some mix of hard and good. And so it also manages our expectations of when we do the mm-hmm. thing, we're not surprised by how hard it is. Right. You I know, it's like, look, I knew a transition was going to be hard. Right. Fun fact, it's been hard. But also, yeah, I'm alive. And there's been so, I mean, it's been so generative. There's been so much joy. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy. I love that. So best case, yes. worst case. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. I use it with all my patients. For just, it's a, it's a fantastic decision aid. Oh, I love that. Well, for me, thank you so much. I know that your story will inspire other people just to step into their truth, whatever. Well, great. That looks well, like I appreciate what you're doing to shine your light and help others do the same. And um, this was delightful. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. I had to, after we recorded this, kind of just sit with everything because I felt there were so many lessons and so much insight that came out of it. And I was just felt the need to kind of just sit with everything I took in. So I'm going to try and boil it down to three or four things that I thought were so key to this conversation. Um, but there's so many more. So I'd be very curious kind of what resonated for you as well. Um, the first was how Remington talked about going to the therapist when she was at Oklahoma state and saying, yes, this is who I feel like I am, but how do I fix it? How do I work it? You tell me what to do and I will do it to make this right. And I could, feel and hear like the eagerness and the desperation and the desire to just for her at that moment, just to fix it and to not be who she was created to be. And I see us do see humans doing this all the time and not just for big transitions like this. Um, We want to outwork who we want to be or what we want for our lives, or we get ourselves busy or we distract and we do all these things so that we don't have to sit with who we want to be. And we do think we can outwork or outperform or whatever it is that will kind of push down the desire in our hearts. And I, she, she talked about, you know, giving props to the therapist. And I, I commend that therapist for kind of just saying, that's not what we do here. Um, and not, not falling into that trap. Cause I think that her Remington's life may have looked totally different and the journey would have been totally different. And if she didn't have that person to say, that's not what we do here. Um, you can't outwork who you want to be. The second piece that I just loved is when Remington said, we don't have to be beautifully congruent with our decisions. Um, You really have to just honor what works for you. And it may not be linear and it may not make sense to other people. You may want to ride a skateboard and bikini one day and not get out of bed the next. And that's okay because that's all part of the process and it's getting you where you need to be. And you also don't have to explain that to anybody. Um, Our paths aren't linear. They may not make sense, but really being cognizant of what you need at that moment to take care of yourself is going to get you farther along in the path and thinking you need to go down one certain way and that's the only way to do it. 
you know, and really, I think, you know, the two themes that I really took out of this were both vulnerability and support. We talked a lot about that through the episode and how when Remington started showing up as completely vulnerable and showing up in heels when she could barely walk in them and short hair, but showing up as her true self, the support she got from people and that she was able, excuse me, then able to connect with her patients in a way that she was never able to before. And just that mutual support and love and compassion has just blown her life up in so many ways. And also the power of support. I I love, love, love that Remington's like, you got to build your team up. You have to call them and say, I need you to check in on this. And this is what I need you to say. I, I don't think we support in the right ways or we don't ask for it in the right ways. I think there's something so powerful about reaching out to your group and saying, hey, I need you to check in on me once a week and tell me everything's going to be fine <laughs> or ask me about this. Um, it's so important to build that team and people want to help. They want to support you in the way you do. So I think that's a powerful lesson in asking what you need from your team. So I could go on and on. I had the best time. And if I can support you in any way, or if you want to learn more about coaching, I would love to hear from you. Um, you can email me at holly at hollycrevo.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y at H-O-L-L-Y-K-R-I-V-O.com. And if you did like this podcast or any of my others, please leave me a review. It helps me kind of spread the word of everything I'm trying to do, which is really support you out there who are running to disrupt your norm with trusting yourself with what you want for your life. So whatever that is, know I am rooting for you and have a great day.